Today's episode of Behind the Numbers is brought to you by B. Riley Financial. B. Riley Financial's diverse suite of services goes beyond traditional financial service offerings. By leveraging cross-platform expertise and assets, B. Riley Financial companies are uniquely positioned to provide full-service collaborative solutions to our clients at every stage of the business lifecycle and in all market conditions. B. Riley refers to B. Riley Financial Incorporated and or one or more of its subsidiaries or affiliates. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder. I'm a managing director at B. Riley Advisory Services. I'm also the author of the new ROI, Return on Individuals, and this is the program where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. And you can't open uh, a newspaper or turn on the news today without seeing words like recession and inflation, two of the biggest impacts on business today, and uh, it's impacting business and investors. And today we're going to be talking about how to manage your money in these challenging times, and I'm pleased to welcome Paul Dietrich, who's the Chief Investment Strategist at B. Riley Wealth Management. Paul, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here. Tell the audience a little bit about who you are, and then we'll jump in. Well, I'm, uh, I'm the Chief Investment Strategist for B. Riley Wealth Management. Uh, <clears throat> overall, we have about $32 billion in client assets. Uh, and for the last 25 years, I've also been an investment manager, and I'm the principal investment manager for the B. Riley Fairfax uh, investment uh, strategies. And they're, they're kind of unique uh, in that they're, institute, they're strategies that were developed for institutional investors like insurance companies, hedge funds, uh, big pension funds. Uh, endowments, uh, things like that, and um, and so I've I've been managing those for you know the last twenty almost twenty five years, um, and so uh, we've done very well in that it's active management, and I've been able to get our clients into very defensive, almost out of the market positions during the last two major recessions in two thousand two thousand two and uh, 2008 and 2009. Yeah, and we're going to explore how you were able to do that here in just a bit. But for folks who are watching, if Paul looks familiar, it's because you've probably seen him on Fox Business, CNBC, Bloomberg TV, and other places. Uh, we're thrilled to have him here today to have a long-form conversation. So without further ado, Paul, let's jump in here. I mean, like I said at the opening, uh, recession is the key word we're all hearing. Uh, are we in one? Are we headed for one? Uh, we may be in one. We'll find out July 28th uh, when the new uh, gross domestic product figures come in. Uh, although recessions are technically uh, done by a government agency called uh, NIBR, National Bureau of Economic uh, Research or something like that. And they, uh, but the, the rule of thumb is two consecutive quarters of negative growth uh, are the beginning of a recession. And we've had one quarter, the first quarter, of negative growth, if we get another one on July 28th. If you look at the analyst 
they're all over the place. Some are saying we'll be up 2%. Some are saying we'll be down 1% or 2%. So we'll, we'll have to wait uh, and find out uh, whether we're in one. But even if we're not in one this quarter, uh, I believe the consensus is, and I, I believe this, that we are going to see a recession start sometime before the end of this year. Yeah, so you mentioned at the opening that you were able to protect investors in the past, and I've heard you say that you can't time the market, but you can time the economy. So I know you've got a, um, a unique way of uh, investing, trend following, I believe, is the, uh, the approach that you take. Can you talk a little bit about that and uh, what that might mean for investors today? Yes, um, you know, you really, I've never met anyone who can actually time the market. It's just sheer luck if, if you if you happen to make some money for a short period of time. Uh, but there are no long-term traders uh, that try to time the market that is still in the business. Most of them have lost all of their money. Uh, however, you can uh, time the economy. The stock market is not near as complex or as difficult to understand uh, as, as most analysts and most TV commentators try to make it. I mean, let's face it, there are only two seasons, let's call them, uh, in investing. You have long-term bull markets where uh, the, the economy is expanding, earnings are going up, uh, and the stock market is usually going up, and they, they often last six to nine years. Now, since 2009, we've had almost 13 years of a bull market, so a lot of people don't remember what a bear market recession feels like uh, and, and looks like to, to, the, to most investors. However, uh, we also, just like the day follows night, we always have a night and a day in every 24-hour cycle, you know, we do have these bear market recessions and they usually last, you know, nine to 18 months, sometimes two years. And, and the market is going down, earnings are going down, uh, earnings are declining, the, the stock, uh, the, the economy is not expanding. In fact, it's contracting. And so that's all you have to know. There are two seasons, let's call it, uh, in the investment cycle, the six to nine uh, year uh, bull markets and, you know, nine to 18 months, two years of a recession. And all you have to do is act appropriately to those two seasons. And someone asked me, well, how do you know you're in a bear market recession? And I tell them, you know, just read the front page of the Wall Street Journal for a week. If, if everything is bad news, if everything, if earnings are going down, uh, if the leading economic indicators are all negative or going down, uh, if the economy is contracting, if the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates, you know, you have a pretty good idea you're in uh, a bear market recession or going into a bear market recession. And you need, as an investor, to become very defensive it's a period for capital preservation, not for trying to make a lot of money on margin. Uh, you know, this is a time to be very, very conservative uh, and, and tactically uh, defensive. Yeah, Paul, for folks who are watching and listening and want to learn more about you or how they might be able to work with you, how, does it, how 
can they reach you? What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Well, uh, we have a website uh, on B. Riley, and just search for my name, Paul Dietrich, uh, and uh, or B. Riley Wealth. Uh, and uh, and you can find out uh, uh, about me or um, my my uh, email address is pdtrick uh, at uh, brileywealth.com. Uh, just send me an email. Great. Paul, we've got about three minutes or so to go here before we've got to take a commercial break, but I want to sneak in one more question. You talked briefly there about how to identify whether or not we're in a recession. Let's talk quickly about market bubbles, because you've lived through a number of those, as have I. How can folks know if we're in a market bubble? Well, the, there are market bubbles, uh, and uh, it, it, and we see them every recession. Uh, I mean, I saw them back in 2000, 2002, during the dot-com uh, boom, uh, and companies were selling for just massive prices just because they had a dot com in their name. They had no revenues, they had no, uh, you know, earnings certainly, and uh, that was a bubble. Uh, we saw in 2008 and 2009 uh, the mortgage-backed securities crisis where, you know, all you had to do is read the newspapers and people were regularly talking about people getting 125% uh, of the value of their house in terms of loans, and some of them didn't have jobs. You just <laughs> you knew that that was crazy. Um, you know, right now we see all sorts of bubbles. We we're probably seeing a bubble in the housing market uh, that's that's going to crack. Uh, housing has just outrage gone up outrageously high. Uh, you're seeing the cryptocurrency craze, which is, uh, I fear, is going to be a disaster for most investors. Uh, and, you know, we see, we see lots of other bubbles, the, the meme stock bubbles, where, you know, you have kids going on uh, these uh, brokerage firms like Robinhood, which are supposedly free trades, and they're driving up stocks that are worth practically nothing uh, to... Uh, you know, sky-high prices, you know there's a bubble. Yeah. Uh, Paul, we've got to take a quick pause here. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You watching and listening, sit tight, and we'll be right back on Behind the Numbers with Paul Dietrich after this quick commercial break. Shelter dogs aren't broken. They've simply experienced more life. If they were human... We would call them wise. They would be the ones with tales to tell and stories to write. The ones dealt a bad hand who responded with courage. Do not pity a shelter dog. Adopt one. Today's episode of Behind the Numbers is brought to you by B. Riley Financial. B. Riley Financial's diverse suite of services goes beyond traditional financial service offerings. By leveraging cross-platform expertise and assets, B. Riley Financial companies are uniquely positioned to provide full-service collaborative solutions to our clients at every stage of the business lifecycle and in all market conditions. B. Riley refers to B. Riley Financial Incorporated and or one or more of its subsidiaries or affiliates.
And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking with Paul Dietrich about how to navigate these challenging times in the market. Paul, uh, welcome back for round two. I uh, want to continue on the theme of the conversation we had in the first segment here and ask you, what are the, the signals that you are looking for to get out of the market so that you're able to get ahead of these uh, these negative wins? Yeah, I was probably one of the uh, uh, the first. Uh, I, I certainly didn't invent these signals. They were invented by uh, a number of academics uh, and a few at the University of Chicago back in the 1950s. And it was at the request of insurance companies and endowments. Uh, because if you think about it, an insurance company uh, or an endowment or a pension fund, they have to pay out. Uh, it doesn't matter whether we're in a recession or a bull market. They, if they if they have a claim or if they have someone with a pension, they have to pay that out all the time. And they can't afford to lose 50 percent uh, of their capital because if they're paying out, you know, if an insurance company is paying out a hurricane claim uh, during the while the markets drop 50 percent, they're never going to get back to break even. Uh, that's part of the problem. So these insurance companies and endowments wanted to have some sort of signal that would get them out of the market three to four or five months before a recession, before, not you know during or right right after that. And so I, I had managed a lot of insurance money when I was just starting out. Uh, and uh, and so I've used these signals. Uh, to get out of the market. And I remember back in, I think it was December of 2000, uh, I went on what was then called the Financial News Network. It's now CNBC. And I said, look, my signals have hit. I believe we're going to have a, a, a bear market recession coming in the next few months. Uh, and that was during the dot-com boom when the the market was just taking off with all these new uh, technology stocks. And sure enough, about three months later, we went into the dot-com recession and the S&P 500 declined uh, 49%. And then in 2008 and 2009, I did the same thing on Fox Business News and CNBC. I went on and I said, you know, my signals have hit. And I'm going. I believe we're going into a bear market recession. Uh, a month or two later, Lehman Brothers collapsed, and uh, the market, the S and P 500, went down, peak to trough during that recession, 57 percent. And uh, I always tell my clients, the best money they'll ever make is the money they don't lose in a bear market recession. Because the problem is, is that if you if you drop down 49% or 57%, it takes six to seven years to get back to break even. Uh, I, I, I often show my clients a graph that if you look at where the S&P 500 was in December of 2000, it did not get back to break even until 2013. So it, it was 13 years investors made no money whatsoever by investing in the S&P 500 uh, if they allowed themselves to ride down uh, in each of those two recessions. Because in the first one, they never ever got back to break even before the 2008 recession started. So what I look at uh, and all these 
insurance companies and hedge funds and, and institutional investors look at is, first of all, I look at the leading economic indicators. Those are the 11 to 16 economic indicators that are our early warning system. They tell us something is wrong with the economy before most people know about it. Just for an example, uh, shipping is usually one of those. If you're if you're cutting back on shipping, it means you don't believe you're going to sell as much this Christmas season uh, than before. But uh, if shipping is going down, you know that eventually inventories are going to go down. And if inventories are going to go down, uh, you're not going to sell as much at Christmas time. And so your earnings are going to go down. But you're not going to report your earnings for about you know six to nine months later. So shipping's an early warning system, a leading economic indicator. And if that's going down, you need to pay attention. And so what people look at are these composite of, of leading economic indicators. And right now, they are all just tanking, all but about two of them. Uh, and not only that, but I'm looking at leading economic indicators all over the world in all the developed countries. And they're going down even faster than they are in the United States. That's the economy. That's the real economy. So you know that the economy is contracting. You know that uh, things are, are, are turning badly that we won't see in terms of negative earnings for some time in the future. Uh, and then my second indicator is a stock market indicator. And I'm looking at basically very long-term, 150-week moving averages. And what that is, is it's a trend, and it's about a three-and-a-half-year trend. And so if the S&P 500 kind of breaks down below its three-and-a-half-year trend, you know something very bad uh, is happening. Uh, and so here you have both the economy is going down, in the leading economic indicators, which is the early warning system that the Federal Reserve and everyone else uses uh, to determine whether we're going into a bear market recession. You have the stock market breaking through a three and a half year bull market trend. So you know it's about ready to turn and start going down into a, a, a downward trend. And then I look at another thing, which is the S&P uh, 100 stocks. These, this makes up 85% of the price movement of the S&P 500. It's the 100 biggest companies in the United States, the 100 biggest companies in the world. And you start looking at how many of them are, are below their 200-day moving average, which is considered on individual stocks a long-term trend, that they're, they're trending down negatively. Right now, 76%, I'm sorry, 74% uh, of all uh, of the S&P 100 stocks uh, are going down. And, um, you know, only about a quarter of them are going up. It's very hard to have a bull market when 76% of all the, all the stocks of the S&P 100 are trending down. Yeah, for sure. And I'm going to paraphrase. I like what you said that uh, the best money you'll ever make is the money you don't lose in a bear market recession. Paul, for the folks who are watching and listening, if they want to learn more about you, I think you've got a newsletter that you might be able to share. Uh, what's the I best, do. What's the best if, way if, to reach if you? If they send me an email, again, pdtrick at 
brileywealth.com. Uh, I'll put them on our mailing list. Uh, and uh, I talk about these, uh, you know, the, the recession and, and how to survive it, how to go defensive, uh, and what to do, how to act appropriately during uh, a period of time when I, th I think we're going to go into a recession and we're going to see further uh, stock market declines. Yeah, it's a great newsletter, great insights. Be sure you take Paul up on that. Paul, I know we're getting down to the uh, the, the final innings here of the program. I'm going to try and sneak in as much as I can. Uh, you mentioned uh, at the end of the first segment something about cryptocurrency being a, a potential disaster for investors. Uh, can you briefly talk about why that is? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I view this as one of the bubbles uh, in the market. Um, cryptocurrencies, you have to separate out cryptocurrencies from what uh, uh, the blockchain. And the, the blockchain was created for cryptocurrencies, and it's a great technology. Anybody can download it for free uh, on the Internet if they want the blockchain, but it's starting to be used by all sorts of other companies outside of crypto. Uh, when strawberries are coming from the country of Chile and South America, we can track uh, you know, the temperature of that container and where it is by GPS every moment until it gets into your grocery store. It, it has wonderful uh, technology attached to it. But the actual cryptocurrency uh, has nothing backing it. There's nothing backing it. And a lot of people say, well, in order to mine a Bitcoin, you have to go through a lot of work. And well, uh, you know, there used to be an economist, John Kenneth Galbraith, who used to say, you know, you can spend the same amount of time baking a peach pie as you can baking a mud pie. Uh, but it takes just as much time to, to bake both of those pies, but only one has any value in the real world. And so, you know, making a mud pie, even though you spent a lot of time at it, there's no there there. Uh, the other thing is that nothing's backing a cryptocurrency. It's just the greater fool theory that if you can find someone who's dumber than you are to pay more for it, then the cryptocurrency goes up and you make money. Uh, if you don't, then you know you are the greater fool and uh, you are uh, the one who's going to be losing money. Uh, some people say, well, the, the U.S. currency has nothing backing it now that we've gone off the gold standard back in the Nixon administration. Nothing could be farther from the truth. The, the U.S. economy uh, or the U.S. Uh, currency is backed by the willingness of 98% of all workers in America to pay, you know, about 15% of their salary uh, to the U.S. government. Uh, it's also backed by about 98% of all corporations uh, in America uh, to pay about 20% of their profits. Uh, and so if if the economy expands, like it did last year, where GDP was up about 7%, that means that the U.S. currency actually expanded uh, by 77%. And uh, so if you, if you look at the euro, if you pay your taxes in Italy, you're paying it to the Italian government. You're not paying it to the central bank uh, of Europe. The, the euro is backed 
purely by a kind of amorphous promise by Germany and France to back the bonds uh, of, of the European countries. Uh, the U.S. Is, is backed by this people paying their taxes directly to the Federal Reserve. We're really the only company, country that does it. We're the only country that most years we expand our currency because uh, it, it, we, we bring in more money than we brought in the year before. And so um, that's why everyone in the world is, especially with the war in Ukraine, is sending their money and buying U.S. dollars. It's the strongest currency in the world right now. Paul, we've got about two minutes to go here, so I want to try and keep this brief. But you, you mentioned something at, at the end of the first segment also about the dot-com bubble. And yeah, I lived through that. I remember working with client companies where CFOs would give me a forecast that showed them never becoming profitable, ever, uh, and then tell me that they should be uh, even more valuable because every dollar of loss increases the valuation of the company. Total insanity. Uh, with that as a backdrop, what about NASDAQ companies or any companies today, honestly, where there are no earnings as we're heading into recession? What, what's your thoughts there in about 90 seconds, please? Well, uh, people forget that, you know, for the last, since really the dot-com uh, recession, um, uh, technology has taken off. Before that, it was, it was such a minor part of the S&P 500. Uh, people forget that you know, we've only had an iPhone for 15 years. And uh, so uh, most technology companies, the 95% of all the companies on NASDAQ, uh, they have revenues, but they don't have earnings. And what that means is, is that every year, in order to pay for everyone's salary and the technology, uh, they have to either go out into the open market and, and borrow that money, or they have to raise it through stock offerings, which dilute stock. And so uh, that's great when you have zero interest rates like we've had for, you know, much of the last 13 years, uh, when you have no borrowing cost and everybody's offering, shoveling money at you, uh, you know, everything's okay. The minute the Federal Reserve starts ratcheting up rates and it costs more and more and more to service that debt that you're taking on, nobody's going to pay 90 PEs for your company. And so price earnings ratios are, are coming back down to earth for most uh, technology stocks. And you're going to see in every bear market recession, uh, technology stocks take a beating just for this reason. I, I remember in 2008 and 2009, uh, you know, I remember buying Apple, I think it was for $22 a share at one point. Um, so it, it's, it's a period of time where uh, stocks are going to go down. And the problem is, is that most people invest uh, in technology by buying an ETF, like a QQQ, which is the NASDAQ ETF. And when they want to get rid of it, they sell all the 95% of the companies that don't have uh, earnings but have revenues. But at the same time, they're selling Apple and Amazon and Microsoft, all the companies that are really good companies that have not only revenues, massive revenues, but they have massive earnings at the same time. And so I think they've been hurt 
those those big companies, and they may be a little undervalued because uh, they're good companies and they're not going out of business anytime soon. But uh, when people are selling out of these ETFs, they're selling out of those companies too, and uh, it's too bad because they it's kind of hurt them. Yeah, it's the proverbial baby being thrown out with the bathwater. Paul, unfortunately, we are out of time. It goes quickly here on Behind the Numbers. I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Thank you. And today we've been talking with my colleague, uh, Paul Dietrich, who's the Chief Investment Strategist at B. Riley Wealth Management. My name is Dave Bookbinder, and I'm the one that my clients turn to when they want to know what their most important assets are worth. You can reach me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm always happy to have a conversation. Big thanks to today's sponsor, B. Riley Financial is the sponsor of today's episode of Behind the Numbers. Do check them out on brileyfin.com and uh, look for Paul while you're out there as well. And thank you for watching and listening. We can't have this program without your support. Really appreciate that. Please hit the subscribe button uh, so that you can stay in contact with us and know exactly what we're up to. That's all we have for today. We'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care, everybody.